Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Hello. From uh, all three of the satellite talks and tastings studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bull, Bull Hagen. And I'm Brig. I'm Vicar. Pete's here too. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the show. So, uh, we've got uh, a couple of big things coming on this show. We've got a very interesting beverage. This was a request by a listener uh, so named obviously, Carla. Obviously, the, uh, the, uh, um, the quarantine has given you far too much time to develop yeah. new soft drinks, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're so, being, yeah, Amazon's an amazing thing. You've, you've been uh, ingenious, just like, uh, just like uh, Matt Damon. Right. Well, I, I had a listener send me a video of people trying a helium beer, mm-hmm. um, and and if you listen to the last show, you know that I can't have beer right now. Um, so I did find a, a helium sparkling water. Rock on! It's called uh, um, He Two O. Okay. Um, and uh, apparently, it's supposed to uh, like when you drink it make your your voice a little higher okay so uh um all right yeah i don't really feel anything (laughs) different (laughs) wait how do i sound now (laughs) man this is weird (laughs) What's going on? <laughs> uh, I, I, Vicar, don't don't ever switch my uh, water in the pulpit with this. That would be very embarrassing. <laughs> oh my! All right, starting to starting to come down now. Hey, so no, so there's no rule against switching out the communion wine, <laughs> right? Man, this is so weird. <laughs> do, 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 Why? Do, do it again. All right, here we go. I'll do it again. Hey, Berg, how's it going? This is <laughs> this is a toxin tasting studio. This is bullying. I don't sound like. Is this going to cause damage to my voice? Uh. <laughs> this. Man, this HE2O. You guys have to get some. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna set our uh, HE2O aside here. Um, thank you for the suggestion, listener. Um, uh, so, Berg, what are you preaching on? Well, what's the text for this Sunday, Vicar? So yeah, Luke chapter eighteen. It's the parable of the tax collector. The yep. Pharisee and the tax collector. Right. Yeah. If you'd start. Verse 9 to 14, that'd be, that'd be awesome. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, this was the first text I preached on when I was, uh, when I was after I was ordained and installed. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so this will be the seventh time I've preached on this, uh, on this text, which, and it never gets old, right? Yeah. Um, because after we get off, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of heady Sundays here this last, you know, um, beware false prophets, how to use wealth. You know, it's, it's nice that they just of, be hit with a, a nice uh, law gospel parable where it's just kind of right in our sweet spot as preachers. Yeah, it kind of distills it all down, you know, really nice. So, Because um, there's two tracks. You can take the impenitence side of it, and you also can take the repentance and the forgiveness side of it. And I think that I think sometimes people just take it as don't think you're better than everybody else um, angle. It really isn't the point. It's about understanding your standing before God and how you, you need his mercy. Right. Um, you know, and the Pharisee, you know, I think sometimes he's easy to beat up on, right? Um, but, you know, he does say he thanks God, right? Mm-hmm. He thanks God that God has given him, you know, this these sort of spiritual gifts that he's not like everybody else. Um, and then we see, too, I think in verse 12, something that we have to watch out for is that, you know, even things that look and are religious can become idols for us, Right. Right. Like giving money can to the church can become an idol. It can be your way to kind of buy God's favor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to giving it out of a cheerful heart. Uh, the same way with fasting, right? Rather than fasting because you know your weakness, you fast to show your spiritual strength. You know, um, that is that's another sin. You know, um, it, it, another, it's a it's a reminder too that that. Uh, how per- how pervasive this thought is is when you when you think of salvation um you know well of course i'm saved because i go to church that we want you to go to church but just being in the building without hearing like taking to heart <laughs> um, right. god's words inwardly digesting them berg um and Indeed. uh with a repentant heart i mean when you look at the tax collector, or the, excuse me, the Pharisee, his life is, I mean, if modern day, he's probably better, uh, more winning at life than you are, or we are. And we would want him as a church member. Right. Because he looks good. Right. You know. He keeps the doors gives, open. Yeah, he gives a lot of money. I mean, he is, he is a religious man. Uh, he fasts. He, uh, there's nothing in him that looks evil. Right, I mean, who wouldn't want him as a, you know, he'd probably be, he'd probably be, uh, he probably looks like a good elder, right? Right. I'm sorry, my church. neighbor's mowing their lawn. If you can hear that, no. Okay. So, um, you know, and then this tax collector, who would want him? I mean, this guy, this guy, you know, uh, cheats people out of money, right? He goes around and he not only, um, he not only, uh, um, steal like collects money for the hated Romans, but he also 
you know, adds a little bit of extra tax on so that way he can live the good life. You know, mm-hmm. um, the tax collectors were very oppressive to the people of Israel at this time. Um, the taxes were very heavy. I mean, this guy looks terrible. And, and yet, and- what are his words? Why is he justified? Why is he declared righteous? Well, well, first thing is, is he lifts his eye to heavens. In other words, he knows where his salvation comes from. No, he doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven. Oh, yeah, he won't even. Excuse me. Right. Um, I, I, he, I read that wrong. But you know, he, not, uh, yeah, he doesn't he look his eyes. He's worthy. too, too, um, too uh, ashamed. Right. Too, um, to uh, understanding his own sin and uh, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And uh, that confession is something that every Christian should be making. That is our salvation. Is, and is, it's even, and the word there, um, I actually think the translation is wrong. It's not as correct. Okay. Um, it comes from the Greek word hilasterion, right? That's the verb mm-hmm. used there. And this word is relating to appeasing or expiating, having placated or expiating. Um, propitiation is another word used here. And the hilasterion was the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, which was sprinkled with the blood of the expiatory victim on the annual Day of Atonement. Um, this was a way that the people's sins were forgiven. So instead of saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, he's saying, God, make atonement for me, a sinner. God, propitiate, right. because I'm a sinner, right? Uh, make peace with God um, uh, through your blood, right? Um, it's got even greater force than that, that you can tell that this man trusts um, and is looking to the sacrifices uh, for forgiveness, and those sacrifices are simply a shadow of what our Lord does on the cross once for all. Right. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, and it's important in a text like this, too, um, that I think uh, one thing that Lutherans can fall uh, into this text is is this, and, and you and I have both seen this, where where it becomes um, uh, almost a, what, a cheap grace thing, where, well, you see, he's the one that went justified, and, and, and there's sometimes you hear of, of talk of, of uh, in a sense, rejoicing in your past sins, as a way of saying, you know, look at look at how God is merciful to me and rejoicing in sin. You know what I'm talking about? Where right, right, yeah, yeah. This sort of brazenness. Uh, I mean, and this is where, yeah, you're right. The the tax collector, you know, he beats his breast. He doesn't even look up to heaven. He stands afar off. Right. These are all indications that he knows that what he has done is sinful and damning and condemns him before God, right? And he wishes he had not done it. Right. And that's the thing. Uh, I think, and there are a lot of people who, even in our own congregations, sadly to say, will come up, well, you know, God will forgive me anyway. Or as your favorite hymn says, uh, um, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now, right? Where he tells the pastor, I want to throw $20 in the plate for everything I did last night, and uh, for everything that I'm going to do today, right, right. That's not. Uh, that's that's not. Uh, <laughs> that's, right. That's not contrition, right? Right. That's because not... <laughs> yeah, if you if you're going to pull the tax collector aside, he he's 
he's ashamed of it. He wishes he would not do it. He he desires to change. And um, right, and he knows he cannot do that in and of himself. Right, unlike the right. Pharisee who says, "God made me different." Right, right. Just um, like your, uh, you know, like uh, your your favorite Himberg. Um, I was born this way. Right. Only for the Pharisee, it's uh, you know, I'm born the spiritual Ubermensch. Right. Right. I'm not like these other people. Right. Thank right. you, God, for making me so awesome. Right. Right. I bench press twice a week. Yes. You know. So, uh, yeah. So that's the thing. It's um, you know, he uh, there is contrition there. There is a sadness there. There is a shame there. Um, and we could all do with a little more shame in our lives. That's the problem. It's like the world tells us not to be ashamed. It actually encourages us to bury that shame, uh, and our nature tells us to bury that shame. Um, this is why people go to counseling a lot of times, right? Because they have shame, right? But rather than mm-hmm. dealing with it um, <clears throat> the way our Lord wants us to deal with it, right? right? Through propitiation, through um, expiation, through those sins being taken away, um, it is, oh, well, you have to forgive yourself. Right. Right. Well, there there is an aspect of of um, of uh, kind of overdoing shame in a way that you don't believe the gospel, though. You there know? is. There is. Um, you um, think it's of a shame balance. Cultures like uh, shame cultures like Japan, for example. Um, but that's despair, right? Right. Because I, I see that, that in a lot of elderly people. You know. And Where, once again, that 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 is basically saying, "Well, God, I've sinned too big for you to forgive me." Right. So once again, it it goes it goes into almost the bizarro image of the Pharisee, right? Yeah. Like like a mirror image of it, you know, where oh well, God, you can't forgive me because I'm such a bad person. It's like that's just the Pharisee on the other side of it, right? Because mm-hmm. you could actually do the Pharisee. That might be an interesting preaching thing, you know, where you actually take and say everything backward that the Pharisee does. Like, you know, I hate you, God, because, you know, I'm not like these other people, like um, the saints and the, you know, the rich and the, you know, the chaste and the, you know. Right. So, right. because that, that happens too. And it, it flows from the same spirit. It flows from, you know, uh, from the flesh. And, and uh, that, one know, uh, kind on of uh, topical way of looking at this text, too, is um, of how we have two guys that are completely different from one each other, one another, and and um, how right now we live in a time where people can't separate, you know, what they've done or what they've said with the person. <laughs> you know, you go back to someone's Twitter account when they were 14 years old, and they want to cancel them. Right. You know? Or dox where, them. That's probably the older term now. Okay. You know, where it's uh, um, it's not about forgiveness, and, and of course we can't give anybody an opportunity to repent. Um, that's who now, they are. The world demands a confession without, without uh, any absolution. Right. And see, this is the thing, is that, uh, you know, you've got... Because outward... I mean, outwardly, yeah, you'd say, well, which one is... Uh, justified, right? And most people looking at this, going to any Lutheran church today and see the one and then see the other, and you're going to be like, well, you know, 
uh, it'll be, you know, it'll be the church council president, or it'll be the, you know, rather right. than the man, which once again shows us that faith is invisible. I think sometimes we forget about that. And this text actually shows us, right, that um, not everybody in the church is justified, right? And another another thing along those lines is, is I kind of just throw out just sermon fodder and ways to look at the text, um, which is kind of my thought process. I just throw about in my mind about 20 different ideas, and then I, I find one. See what sticks one. to the wall? Right. Um, and that is, too, um, both are sinners, and... As the, the Pharisee looks at the tax collector, he finds the tax collector's sins to be very offensive. He finds his own sin to not be very offensive. And mm-hmm. we also then, I think, not only do we do that, but we also find someone else's temptations to be more offensive than our own temptations, even. We, we you know, um, and that can have a lot of different things, but when someone is even tempted in a, in a certain way or a certain direction, we condemn them mm-hmm. for your temptations are out weirder or grosser than my temptations um, without actually looking at uh, just how, how shameful our own sins are. Well, I think that, I mean, isn't that why it's very easy for the church to go after uh, abortion or homosexuality or the transgender stuff? But yeah. then, you know, the you know, or the communists, but the sort of crony capitalism, which right. also, you know, which promotes greed. Right. Um, you know, your temptations and and all of a sudden your temptations to your that that appeal to you are way grosser than mine or something like that. That where it's really easy to preach to people that they're not tempting tempted to. And temptation by nature is tempting. Right. For each well, and us. I don't I don't think that the Pharisee actually thinks that he's a sinner. Yeah. Because he doesn't because it also has to do with a right view of the law, right? Right, cuz he's um, not inter- he's uh he's going with the outward works of the law rather than um the heart. And in fact, he's gone above the law, right? Right. Um he ties not only everything that he has, but everything that he gets, right? Um he fasts twice a week. Like, I mean, in his mind, he's going above. He's a he's a super Christian. Yeah, he's right? uh, he's doing those so that he receives from God. It's a transaction, you know. I'm going right. to or or God made me this way, and uh, you know, I, I think you see the same thing kind of in the Masons, right? The architect of the universe made me this way. I'm gonna, you know, so therefore I'm going to live this life of virtue and the, and and the and the like, you know. Right, because that's really the problem that we have with the Masons. It's not, you know, the whole secret stuff. I mean, all that's on the internet. You can actually buy their their secret, you know, decoder rings and, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You know, the real issue we have with the Masons is works righteousness. You know, right? Um, and that's exactly like if I were to compare the Pharisee to anybody, it'd be like a Mason, you know, or a Shriner. Mm-hmm. They look really good. They do a lot of good. They. Uh, fund children's hospitals, and they ride around in their funny little cars, and you know, and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, right? Um, but they uh, they're not justified, right? They're not declared righteous because they seek their virtue in what they can do, right? God got me started, and I'm going to do the rest, right? And we see that a lot in Christianity today, right? That uh, 
you know, well, God gave me this, now I better go and do something with it. And and uh, we can't talk this way without actually saying the gospel side of it is he went home justified. Right. He goes Christ home declared covered righteous. His sins. He made propitiation for those sins. Mm-hmm. And that's why that that mercy, that merciful, be merciful to me, um, we have to translate it better. Right. Because it doesn't get to the depth of, you know, of this expiation, right? God taking away sins and propitiation, appeasing God, making him who was our enemy our friend. And that this is all tied to the sacrifices, to the blood, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they all point forward to what Christ did on the cross, right? So, mm-hmm. All right. But. So today is, I promised this last week, but now we're promising, promising it today. Uh, Berg is going to do a the start of a top 12 list. Peter. Indeed. Play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Pastor Berg's top 12. So my top 12 list is... Uh, about the Apocrypha, right? Vicar, what is the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha would be the uh, section of books that sort of fit between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some Christian churches and denominations hold these to be worthy of considered scripture, and some consider them just very good historical documents that kind of help fill the gap. Right. So, yeah, the Apocrypha is... Like the first instance of Christian fiction, right? It is, uh, they were books that were included in both the King James and the early editions uh, and in Martin Luther's German translation. And they were uh, gathered in between the Old and the New Testaments with this important note, Apocrypha, these books are not held equal to the sacred scriptures and yet are useful and good for reading, right? So the reason why I chose this is because it's kind of different, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't done anything like this. Uh, and also, um, we actually use the Apocrypha often in uh, our liturgy, hmm. in like the introits and that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, since these things are useful and good for reading, I thought we could listen to these things and uh, and discuss them. So we, before we get into this then, what uh, what's different about these as opposed to our normal Bible? What made it so that these books were not in the Bible. What, what's the difference? All right, so some of the differences are is they were all written in Greek and purported to be written in Hebrew, right? Um, other considerations are false doctrine. So in Maccabees, like you have some prayers for the dead, for example. Um, and Judith, you have just this uh, really weird retelling of a basically a fictional story about this king and Judith uh, that didn't really happen. Um, so there are a number of reasons why they weren't included, um, both in terms of languages, when they were written, uh, they were written probably in that 400 year period between Malachi and, uh, and before the birth of Jesus. The, the way I, so, gu- I guess, um, I would say this, and you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, we would tend to look at the Apocrypha, um, in the same way that uh, someone, for example, from a more liberal denomination would look at scriptures, meaning uh, uh, a more liberal denomination looks at scriptures and they'll say, okay, this is what uh, they thought about God at that time. This is how they understood God. 
wh- whether it's in from the Gospels or from the Old Testament. And then through their understanding and their connection with God, we learn about who the true God really is and kind of how they express their faith. It's not God's word completely necessarily, but in it, in their expression and in their evolving understanding of God, it becomes more clearly to see kind of God behind the pattern is what the maybe where where we would look at the Apocrypha and we would say, um, these were people, this is how they understood God and how they understood the Old Testament. And, uh, but it doesn't really give us the word of God like the rest of scriptures do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. Um, the Lutherans actually would read the Apocrypha during the week. Um, because they still found it useful, and they quoted it. Um, actually, I have one quote here uh, for that as well uh, that we'll get into, which I think is very important for pastors, a little behind-the-collar scene. So It kind of reminds me of my so, very first vicar, um, who uh, I asked him what he did on his day off, and he said, well, um, I, tra- I translated Aristotle because it was secular, so he took, did that on his day off. <laughs> ha! Nice. <laughs> So uh, I was going to ask one more question. So then who, uh, who, how did the, the decision come to it where that they, these books were not going to be included in the Bible then? Well, they were always considered deuterocanonical. Um, and Hey Vicar, what's deuterocanonical or whatever you said? Uh, secondary to scripture to the canon. Thank you. Right. So, okay. So in the Bible, and we can maybe talk about this next time too, because it's actually a much larger topic um, when, when the church, see, the church never created the Bible, right? The church has always simply said, um, these, this is the scripture that we have received, right? And mm-hmm. there was a category called homologemina, right? Books that were accepted everywhere. And those books were like the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the entire Old Testament, uh, the four gospels, Acts, the letters of Paul, um, you know, First John, um, you know, and and a lot of those books. I will get a list for for you next time. But then there were there were certain churches that didn't have all of these books, right? There were um, like Hebrews or Second and Third John, mm-hmm. um, and Revelation was actually uh, a more of a disputed book. Right, you can read all about this in uh, Eusebius. So so these were called antilegemena, right? They're still God's word. Um, but uh, they just weren't as universally known, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this third category of the Apocrypha, that which is not Scripture but good and useful for reading and learning, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, and that's the thing. Like, the Church, you hear today that, well, the Church created the Bible, blah, blah, blah. No, the Church did not create the Bible. The Church simply recognized what was there and what wasn't there, Right? Because there were some church bodies that had a lot more books in their uh, in their canon, mm-hmm. um, like Enoch, you know, um, that's what like uh, Alexandria and the Ethiopian uh, Orthodox Church have, right? Right. And everybody was like, "Well, nobody else has this." So, so as a, more of a historian than I am, Berg, um, how would you uh, then compare uh, um, the Apocrypha to? Uh, the Gnostic Gospels. Way better. 
<laughs> um, the Apocrypha, like like I said, is good and useful for reading. The Gnostic Gospels are not good and useful for reading because they will turn Jesus into a phantom that he didn't really had a bo- that he really didn't have a body. Um, the Gnostic Gospels teach that there is a multitude of gods. Um, they teach that this creation is evil, that matter is evil, created by uh, a demiurge, an abortion uh, of a god who um, was too stupid uh, to grasp the spiritual meaning, and so he created this whole world, uh, this fleshy prison which entrapped uh, souls in it. It's kind of like the Matrix, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you find ways, you hear, like, you what know. you hear most about the Gnostic Gospels, the, like the general listener, probably is... Um, is uh like on the Discovery Channel where where they'll say, you know, the Gospel of Thomas actually says this, and they they kind of give it credence as though, you know, right. to just add confusion. Went, right, and if we can have longer conversations on that, uh, maybe next time, you know, sure. maybe devote a whole episode to that. Um, but so we'll uh, get going. Number twelve, first address for fourteen through twenty-four. This is where three men uh, who are attending the king uh, are have a contest, and they are trying to teach the king, you know, which is best. One guy says wine, one guy says the king, but the third guy who wins says that women are the strongest, but that truth conquers all. And so here is his description of women. O ye men, it is not the great king, nor the multitude of men, neither is it wine that excelleth. Who is it then that ruleth them, or hath the lordship over them? Are they not women? Women have borne the king, and all the people that bear rule by sea and land. Even of them came they, and they nourished them up, and planted the vineyards from whence the wine cometh. These also make garments for men. These bring glory unto men, and without women cannot men be. Yea, if men have gathered together gold and silver, or any other goodly thing, do they not love a woman which is comely in favor and beauty? And letting all those things go, do they not gape, and even with open mouth fix their eyes fast on her? And have not all men more desire unto her than unto silver or gold or any goodly thing whatsoever? A man leaveth his own father, and brought him up, and his own country, and cleaveth unto his wife. He sticketh not to spend his life with his wife, and remembereth neither father nor mother nor country." By this also ye must know that women have dominion over you. Do ye not labor and toil and give and bring all to the woman? Yea, a man taketh his sword and goeth his way to rob and to steal, to sail upon the sea and upon rivers, and looketh upon a lion, and goeth in the darkness. And when he hath stolen, spoiled, and robbed, he bringeth it to his love. Well, that's, Which I thought was a, yeah. kind of a nice way to talk about, you know, that women, I mean, you know, all of these things, right? All kings are born by women, right? Right. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And I think know? what we're, and, we're I think what we're seeing right now is is the fact that uh, um, when when marriage was valued more, we saw that being a real motivation for young men to kind of get their lives together so they can find someone to marry. Right. Um, you know, you go on adventures, you get all this wealth. Why? So you can bring it home to your wife. Right. right? Because you love her. That's, I, I don't know. I mean, in a, in a world at that time that despised women and looked down on them, 
Uh, I thought this was a very refreshing way uh, to see uh, the role that women play in our lives. Right. So. Yeah. Number 11. From Sirach 38, 25, and 26. The wisdom of a scribe cometh by his time of leisure, and he that is less in action shall receive wisdom. With what wisdom shall he be furnished that holdeth the plow, and that glorieth in the goad, that driveth the oxen therewith, and is occupied in their labors, and his whole talk is about the offspring of bulls? Now, this uh, was actually quoted by Chemnitz in his Enchiridion, talking about the leisure or leisure that uh, a pastor needs to have, right? Mm-hmm. That the wisdom of a scribe cometh by his time of leisure, and he that is less in action shall receive wisdom. Uh, being the busy pastor is actually a bane, right? Mm-hmm. Because a pastor needs time to think about these things, to translate. Um, this is why uh, being a worker priest is actually kind of a tough thing, because the pastor never really has the time um, to meditate upon God's Word, to visit the shut-ins, to um, work his way through the Bible, to be prepared, uh, right. because his mind is then occupied with other things. Right. Right? Um, the busy pastor, uh, you know, I, I do. I, it breaks my heart when people say, well, I don't have time to study, right? Mm-hmm. Because that means one of two things. Either we're too vain, and we think that the church can't possibly survive without us for a couple hours a week when we, you know, open God's Word and translate, or we're lazy and somebody else is setting the agenda for us. And I think that, you know, is also very problematic. Right. So. Yeah, that, that's good. I, I like how um, it's it's not a, it's more of a, a separation of vocation, meaning it's not downplaying the worker necessarily um, who's who working the oxen. Right. It's it's saying right. saying uh, um, you know for the scribes to study and uh, to be able to then communicate those truths to them. Mm-hmm. You know, just as the the scribe relies on those to provide him food, right? And I think that's the that's the hard thing for being a pastor because we want we want the you know we want the ox right mm-hmm. because when you plow a field you can see the results. Yeah. Where when you are studying, it's like, oh, okay, well, what did I get accomplished today? Right. Like Peter you know, can come home more... from work and say he's made millions of food wrappers, right? That's true. How, how exactly. many would you make in a 12-hour shift? If I have a good day, I can make a million, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And you, and know, you get and... like a 10 cents per label, right? I don't know. <laughs> I just work there, man. So, you know, and that's the thing. Everybody has uh, different callings in life, but the scribe, and it's one thing that, you know, we have a hard time you know, and I, I think our people do too have a hard time looking at that, right? That if you're if you take time to study in your study, you know, um, you are uh, not working. And if you're not working, right, um, as they think you should be working, then then they're not getting their money's worth, right? Right. Well, I actually but, that's what I appreciate about the comment made by I, I mentioned earlier by 1.0, um, in the fact that uh, he saw. Uh, when he translated Aristotle on his day off, it means that what was he doing during the week? Spending his time right. when he was not having a day off. Right. Studying scripture. 
Exactly. And that's the thing. Uh, anybody who's listening, you know, pastors, uh, if you find yourself getting too busy to read and to study, um, you need you use your planner, right? Nobody would begrudge you if you needed two hours, uh, you know, two hours a week or three hours a week at the physical therapy place, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, uh, so why should they begrudge you taking two or three hours a week uh, to read scripture, um, to read uh, Lutheran theology and the like? And it right? also Just it walk. also makes everything else easier, meaning it makes your it, sermon it easier, writing a sermon. It makes... It helps you come up with ideas of what you kind of want to put in a newsletter. You know, it uh, it helps a- guide absolutely. you and makes other things actually easier along the way. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't give unless you got something. Right. right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, when I have a doctor, sometimes I'm actually, people say, well, you want the, the, the doctor with the most experience. But sometimes I kind of like those who are kind of fresh out of medical school who who just got done studying a lot and kind right. of being kept. I mean, do you want a, right. a doctor who got his degree way back when and then, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Is you too know, busy to if, study? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if your doctor is still bleeding you, that's probably a problem, right? Right. <laughs> Although if there's you anybody who would, who, who would see and and think that somehow leeches are good i think it'd probably be you you probably find some health benefit for leeches that we well you know actually they have been shown to have some <laughs> benefits so you know um so <laughs> nail on the head right there indeed so anyway we'll we'll continue on here number 10 second maccabees 7:20 through 23 now, Second Maccabees, this is a very interesting history. Um, when uh, the Jewish nation was under the dominion of the Seleucids, uh, this was after the time of Alexander the Great, when his empire broke up, and the Seleucids were ruling Judah at this time, and uh, and uh, it was really bad. I mean, they were forcing priests to eat pig flesh, and they were burning uh, the Old Testament, uh, and killing people for being Jews, right? For uh, adhering to God's word, um, and it was it was a bad it was a bad time. And uh, but by the way, that would never is, happen here, right? Well, this is one of the reasons why I chose this one. Um, and that's and that's pretty heavy for a, a book that's named after McDonald's Applebee's. <laughs> nice, I like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> all right, but anyway, so this is kind of a. a It shows what, because these things are coming, right? And we know that we live in a world that is going to get worse, right? Um, And we fear for our children. And I think 2 Maccabees 7, 20 through 23, um, shows us actually uh, how a godly and faithful parent reacts when her children are in danger and and actually being martyred for the faith. So uh, here we go. Now the mother was to be admired above measure and worthy to be remembered by good men who beheld seven sons slain in the space of one day and bore it with a good courage for the hope that she had in God. And she bravely exhorted every one of them in her own language, being filled with wisdom and joining a man's heart to a woman's thought. She said to them, I know not how you were formed in my womb, for I neither gave you breath nor soul nor life, Neither did I frame the limbs of every one of you, 
but the creator of the world that formed the nativity of man and that found out the origin of all, he will restore to you again in his mercy both breath and life as you now despise yourselves for the sake of his laws. Right? Yeah, that's what a, a, that's beautiful. It's very powerful, right? That our children are not our own, but she commends them to God who is able to raise them from the dead. Those who despise themselves for the sake of God's law. I mean, that, very, very powerful. And then that's good also for in, in this sense is... Uh, um, a lot of people might say, you know, um, I don't know if I want this, if this is a good time in our society and our whatever to be having children. I don't know if I want children to to be raised in this kind of world right now. What would this say to that? Yeah, I mean, it would say first of all, it's not your choice, right, to have kids or not, mm-hmm. because they're created by God, right? And secondly, um, they're mort- they're martyrs, right? I mean, your children are the only thing that you can possibly take with you to heaven, right? Because they are immortal souls uh, created by God that you raise in the faith. Um, And she exhorts them, right? She doesn't try to save their physical lives because there's something much more important, their spiritual life. Um, Oftentimes today we get so caught up in wanting our children to be successful and uh, to have smarts and to go to good colleges and to do all this stuff, right? Um, But how often do we actually pray for them uh, to remain and die as Christians? Right. Right? You know, um, I think that's a good way for us, you know, that's really where we should start. And I think that, that to me was the the beauty of this, of this passage is like, you know, um, because even if my son is taken from me by death, um, if he is killed for the faith, um, I can rejoice because God will raise him from the dead. Yeah. Um, and it's a hard thing to do because right. nobody wants to lose their children. Um, nevertheless, there is something more important than physical life. Um, and so I, I thought this woman's, uh, you know, this woman's uh, exhortation was very um, timely uh, it fits with a lot of places in Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, I think it's a good good way to get into a good frame of mind and how we should prepare our children uh, if they do have to face something along these lines, you know? Anyway, so uh, the last one. Number nine. Tobit 8, 4 through 10. This one is a little bit happier uh, <laughs> than the last one. Um, this is uh, Tobias's prayer... Uh, when he gets married. Okay. Okay. So the first thing he does is uh, uh, he tells his wife, uh, they get up and they pray. Uh, When they're married, uh, they're about to go to bed and they pray. So, then Tobias exhorted the virgin and said to her, Sarah, arise and let us pray to God today and tomorrow and the next day, because for these three nights we are joined to God. And when the third night is over, we will be in our own wedlock. For we are, chil- we are the children of saints, and we must not be joined together like heathens that know not God. So they both arose and, praised er- and prayed earnestly, both together, that health might be given them. And Tobias said, Lord God of our Father, may the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains and the rivers and all thy creatures that are in them bless thee. 
Thou madest Adam of the slime of the earth, and gavest him Eve for a helper. And now, Lord, thou knowest that not for fleshy lust do I take my sister to wife, but only for the love of posterity, in which thy name may be blessed forever and ever. Sarah also said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, and let us, both gr- and let us grow old both together in health. Right? So there are a lot of things here to uh, point out, that we are children of saints, mm-hmm. right? We must not be joined together like heathens that don't know God. Um, Tobias's prayer points us back to Adam and to Eve, right? Mm-hmm. The institution. Um, and that we should never enter marriage simply because of fleshly lusts, right? Mm-hmm. But that uh, we enter into marriage both for mutual companionship and love uh, and as this text really brings out, for uh, the love of posterity, right? For the bearing of children, right? Um, Because that is still one of the main reasons for marriage, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Um, And uh, they pray for one another that they might grow old together in health. I mean, and so to me, that was just a very touching, uh, if you're going to start your marriage off, I think that's a good way to start it. Yeah, yeah. To start it off with prayer, Prayer that's based on scripture. And uh, the prayer that, reflects uh, too that um, uh, the whole understanding that you're married for the other person, not for yourself. Right. For the sake of right. of your spouse, because you love them and you want them to grow old. Um, right. And that you're joined together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're one, right? Let us both grow old together in health, right. which I thought was a very nice thing. So, all right. So that's, uh, I think that gave us a lot of uh, food to think about. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, that was what, four of them? Four. Yep, that was four of them. Yep. And and so now, working. keeping things moving, we have our very first um, uh, update uh, from our West Wyoming affiliate, uh, Baldwin. 15, I guess we call him Baldwin now. He's not a vicar. Um, uh, Pat Baldwin has s- submitted his first um, uh, his first uh, segment of the show. Um, we are chronicling uh, the, the, the new pastor and kind of how it goes for him as he starts out. So, Peter, why don't you go ahead and play that? Okay, let's see here. Um, hmm. Yeah, got my mic set to voice. Gain. Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, look at these wavy things. That must be pretty good. However this program works. Recorded live here in the Toxin Tastings um, basement studio? Western Satellite Campus. Um, Cowboy Outreach Division. I gotta figure out something for this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, his first thoughts are going to be to show this to the new guy and be like, Hey, Vicar, don't do this. Let's see, did I... Oh, is this the one with the... Oh, I bet I didn't download the instructions. Maybe there's a readme file. I don't know what this setting does. Oh, man. What? Yeah, no, I'll be up here in just a sec. Yeah, no, it's it's that new segment we were talking about. You know, where people get a, have a look behind someone just getting into the office, right? What, what does a pastor run into when he's just starting out? Or maybe, how does he perceive all this stuff when he's just starting out, right? Yeah, what? 
No, 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 no. I'll t don't worry, I'll get this fixed up. This is just sort of test stuff. Not like I'd send this in. <laughs> you know what the best part about this is, though, right? No more animal sounds. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, that should be part of the ordination vows. You don't have to do animal sounds anymore. This is great. Okay. <laughs> I think he still needs to do animal sounds myself, but... <laughs> we couldn't even get this one to do an animal sound. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, so it's good to hear. He's we've we got the microphone working. So well, will we look to hear more from you? Um I don't know if we learn anything yet, but hopefully we will. <laughs> so, um we do have some confound the clerics, Peter, don't we? We have a couple of, of emails to get to. Confound the clerics. Well, yeah, and we have a an update from Hannah first. Okay. Uh, she says, Hello, clerics. We have friends who named their eldest son Josiah, so we'll have to hold off on that one. Because we had recommended Josiah. Oh, for her. Yeah. For her, right. Uh, she said, Hezekiah is another name that you can hang your hat on. Uh, I've also considered the name Mephibosheth. Before I knew I was pregnant, I was reading the story of this lame prince from Edgar Meyer's Bible storybook. Uh, and started crying over his tragic losses of Grandfather Saul and Father Jonathan. That was one of the several, several tip-offs that I think I needed to line up a pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. But don't get your hopes up. We won't find out the sex of the baby until birthday, and none of those names I mentioned are actually on our baby's names spreadsheet. So, so listeners, if you have any names you'd like to add to Hannah's spreadsheet, where can they find us, Vicar? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can find He's us at, at feedback. You can find yeah, us at email us yeah. at feedback at clericalheirs dot org. Uh, you can uh, find us on Twitter, clerical heirs p p four podcast at me bro, and uh, you can support us via Patreon, and uh, you can also uh, find us on clerical heirs podcast on Facebook, facebook dot com slash clerical heirs podcast. So. All right. So send in your baby names, male and female. And so we have a couple of questions. Oh, too. what we should do, what we should do is do like a top twelve baby name thing from all the suggestions. That would be awesome. Oh yes, yes. That's <laughs> too evil for that one, Rick. <laughs> we got you, Hannah. We're gonna give you baby names. Maccabees you know, is still making me hungry, gonna, Peter. They're going to grow up just hating us, you know? <laughs> because What did uh, you say about being hungry? Well, I'm still hungry for Maccabees. Oh, Maccabees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is uh, actually, He's, I didn't put together a uh, tribute, but it is uh, the day of recording, the 26th anniversary of my wife and I. And I was thinking, you know... Normally, I, I try and take her out to a really nice romantic dinner at Applebee's, but I don't have that opportunity right now. I, I you know, I kind of want to create a Mick Applebee's now. Right. I, I mean, and we can just call it Maccabees. <laughs> it, I mean, like, well, it could I be Maccabees. Say, like, what would it be? Would it be? Would it just be like Applebee's food, but but like. With fast food quality, but then I realized that all the Applebee's stuff is just microwaved anyway. Right. 
Well, you know, we could call it Maccabees, and then kind of the byline under it could be Hammer Time, because <laughs> because Maccabees means hammer. Oh, so you know, well, there you go. So, uh, producer Hannah, you 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 said you have a um, a uh, or associate producer Hannah, excuse me. You said you have a uh, friend that's good with the graphic design stuff. So, if you could give <laughs> us a good logo. Uh, with in- incorporating a hammer for our new Maccabees restaurant. We will post that on our <laughs> social media outlets. So now are and, you, uh, you uh, giving her an assignment you're seeking to destroy her social life, basically? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I think uh, that this is just another T-shirt opportunity, right? Our Maccabees restaurant. It's true. Be our new T-shirt. But speaking of which, how are we doing on T-shirt? Um, we are exactly where we were last time. So, <laughs> so, I see. We haven't gone backward. No, we haven't gone backward. Things are exactly the same. Well, anyway, we also got an email uh, from Jesse. Uh, he says, "Dear Reverend Berg, Reverend COVID, Vicar Seventeen, and Peter." There's Vicar 17.0 and Peter. Keep up the good work. Admittedly, I give you guys a hard time every week while talking to your podcast mom while our children have a play date. That being said, this is my first email, and I will compliment sandwich it. First, I appreciate your banter and intellectual dialogue. Keep up the good work, and the elevator music was a great addition for new Vicar. Uh, I'm glad you liked that. Uh, Second, you can't bring up Dr. Coles without discussing... Or it, you can't bring up Dr. Cole's and discuss medieval prayers while then referencing inwardly digest and not bring up venerable bead. For shame, Travis and Vicar 17.0. Wasn't, quote, take it to heart something Dr. Grime alone likes? Third, my wife says EOE has cool patterns when you look at it and hopes you are working on regulating it with a GI specialist. She says... A she is a physician's assistant to clarify why she knows what it looks like and thinks it's cool. Alrighty, your podcast mom gave me a hard time for never directly bothering you guys, so here I am, as someone else filling up your inbox. In Christ, Jesse. Rock on. I mean, I always like talking about the venerable bead. So, all right. So, uh, I mean, that sounds like a, cool a rap name. name to me. So, uh, a couple things. That sounds like um, a rap name. Uh, yeah, we got the notorious B.I.G. and the venerable bead. I know. It sounds like a rapper name. It's awesome. I will say that my esophagus is pretty much awesome. <laughs> Actually, the, it's got it's got the a ridging, so it's got like uh, like rings all the way down. So uh, maybe I should post that this on is the. Definitely something I want to hear in my podcast. <laughs> I should post that on our Facebook page if you like. Um. <laughs> maybe we can post a link to it, and then if you're if if people want to see it, they can just click the or, link. Or yeah, I mean, we've been like throwing a lot of T-shirt ideas out. Throw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, would you would like yeah. to talk about the venerable bead? I, I he could actually take a whole episode by himself. So, well, you've got like four minutes. So, yeah. So we'll we'll hold off on that one until a later episode. But. And and I am following up yeah, with uh, a GI and an allergist. So, 
So yeah. Has it gotten any better in the last week and a half or so since she stopped eating uh, all that stuff? Um, I I would say perhaps. I mean, that's good and bad. Well, it's one of those things where I can't... It's subtle enough that I can't really tell a whole lot, but they have to do another scope to find out exactly how it's doing. Mm. So... So are you hoping that this is like the that that was the problem, or are you hoping it wasn't? Um, actually, if if I knew it was a problem, I could adjust and then not have to worry about it. So I'm kind of hoping. Actually, I can live without those things. I get used to it. So you're gonna get on the uh, oh, what, what's the what's the diet where you only eat meat? Uh. Keto? I, think, I think we could. That's another. That's another keto, uh, yeah. business opportunity. We call it the clerical errors diet. <laughs> the clerical errors so, diet. You know, <laughs> only like strange moonshine flavors Ex- and steak. See, I mean, we could do this. You know, it'd be like a liquid diet. You know, what you sipping on today? Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a diet where where like people? For a while, one of the fads was you only drink beer, like, as your only sustenance. Oh, I knew seminarians that did that during Lent. Oh, yeah. Do you know they call yeah. it? They call it and- alcoholic. <laughs> 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 but, no, these guys, like, for real, like, because of the whole Lenten thing, you know, they uh, they only drank these really heavy beers. This guy lost 35 pounds. Wow. By, yeah. I mean, it was... Uh, I think he was pretty sick of it at the end. Of, cause, right. I mean, and plus, we're talking like yeah, that's a good way beer, to not like beer. You know? Plus, when you're done, you go to a lot of so. meetings and you meet new friends. <laughs> Indeed. If you go for long enough, they give you like a cool, a cool thing to put on your shirt. You know. <laughs> so, all right, this is devolving quickly. Right. All right. Well. So. Well, uh, thank you for joining us along, um, and uh, I am. Uh, Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And uh, may your... May your day be apocry awesome. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time. Welcome to Maccabees. Can I take your order? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>